0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. I uh, I don't usually start off sitting in this seat at the beginning of a sermon. Uh, but I noticed something earlier this morning with the, the people here in the first uh, worship service, and I, I feel it with you guys again today, of this, the second service. Um, the room feels really mellow. You guys feeling kind of mellow today? A little bit? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's just like this 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 uh, last snowstorm is just kind of like really? <laughs> you know what I mean? We're kind of wanting to be done with that, but... The good news is, is that even when we're feeling mellow, God's still at work. He's still here. You know, whether we're feeling high energy or not, He's still here, and I really wanna encourage you, though, that if you are feeling that way today, a little bit mellow, I mean, I could be that, too, today, pretty easily. Um, let's still pay attention to the Lord. Be alert to the Lord. Say, Lord, we need to hear what you have to say to us today and, and he'll speak to us and, and um, that's good news also let you know that this Tuesday this Tuesday April 4th uh, will be 42 years ago that I received Christ as Savior it's uh, amazing it's been that long and um, God has put up with an awfully lot out of me and he still hasn't given up and so that's, that's good news for me well, let's, um, let's pray again, and then we will jump in. Father, thank you that we can be here and worship you, Lord, and that even when we're feeling kind of mellow, kind of laid back, that, that you still work. I pray, Father, you'd stir us up just a little bit inside so that we would be alert to what you might have to say to us here today uh, as a group, Lord, but also individually, that you'd speak to our hearts and minds, and we would hear and we would respond to you in ways that honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the fifth week of this sermon series, overview, the idea of overview, saying looking over the Christian life, how do we view the Christian life from a big picture perspective? And we're looking at it in light of major choices, significant choices that we have to make if we are going to be able to see the Christian life the way it really is and then live it the way God intends for it to be lived, and really the way we want to live it. Um, And so the first choice was that we must choose truth over feelings. we got to go with what's true, and our feelings will eventually align with that and support us in it. And then we said that we must choose Jesus over everything else, and we must do that because he is Lord. He really is Lord over everything, and we have to align ourselves under that for us to get life right. And then we talked about how, Um, we must choose the spiritual over the material. Remember, when we just look at life, it looks like it's just all happening on this level, isn't it? You know, what we can see and hear and touch. But the reality is there is a whole spiritual realm, a spiritual world, which we must bring to bear on it, okay? The spirit must rule over the material, and we, we live by the truths of the spirit in this material world. And last week, we talked about that we have to choose the eternal over the temporary, That we need to view this life like, I mean, even though sometimes it seems long to us here, that's really very, very short compared to eternity. Very short does not mean unimportant. This life is so important. We must make good choices, right choices now, because it's going to matter forever, our choices. And so uh, we must choose the eternal over the temporary. And that brings us to what we want to talk about today. But before we do, I, I want to give you a quiz, all right? I want you to take a quiz today, uh, and we'll come back to this later in the message. Um, now, here's, here's how you're going to keep score. If you answer yes to a question, you do this with one of your fingers, okay? And if you say no, you just don't do anything. That's is simple, right? You can handle this. So, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you 10 questions, and I want you to keep track of each one that you say yes to, so that when you're done, you have a score that will be in your mind for later in the sermon. Now, here's a scenario that I'm going to be asking you questions about. Imagine that you learn that new neighbors are moving into the house next door to you. Okay, new neighbors are coming. Now, So, you know, some of the details, you're going to say, well, how do I know that? Don't ask that kind of question. It's okay, just pretend that you do. All right? You learn new neighbors are moving into the house next door to you, and you hear that they've, they've bought a washing machine from someone, but they can't get it for at least a week. It's going to be a week or maybe a little more before they can actually get it. And that when they do go pick it up, they're going to need help carrying the machine into the house and getting it down into the basement. So they're going to need help with that, okay? So here's the question you'll be answering for different details around that scenario. Will you invite your new neighbors to use your washing machine for laundry? OK, and, until theirs arrives, you know, where you open up your house, say, hey, come on in and you can do your laundry here. And, you know, maybe spend some time and get to know them a little bit while they're they're doing that. And that also that when they come to, you know, uh, bring it in, that you're going to help with that. And if, if you aren't strong enough to help, you can get the doors and move the rugs or whatever. But you're going to help with that. You're going to be there and engage. Now, is that fairly clear what we're talking about? All right, so what I wanna do is, I'm gonna ask you, would you be willing to do that? Or will, you know, would you do that? Based on certain different scenarios. Okay, so here you go. First question. And by the way, I need you to be really honest with yourself. I'm not gonna be asking for your scores to show me, but I want you to be honest with yourself about that. You know, when we come to church, sometimes we we put on our church thinking caps and we think about everything like, okay, Christians, I'm supposed to think this way. I wanna think this way. And then we go out there and live a different way. And that really does need to come to match. We want it to match. But what I'm asking you to do is rethink about how you really are in life and what you really think. Okay? All right. So will you help them in these ways if you learn this about your new neighbors? You learn that they go to church with you every Sunday. Somebody you know. Will you help them? If, If the answer is yes, do this. Okay? You guys doing that? Okay. All right. Next one, will you do this if you learn that they go to a different church that's very similar to yours? Will you do that? All right. Will you help them if they go, you find out that they go to a church that teaches some things you believe are wrong? Okay. All right. Fourth one. What if you find, will you help them if you find out that they don't go to church at all and they don't have any religious affiliation? Will you help them, next question, will you help them if you find out that they belong to a religion that you believe is a cult? Are you gonna help them? All right, are you are gonna help them in those ways if you find, and remember we're talking about opening up your house and having them in to do their laundry and, you know, connecting and helping them. All right, will you do that if you find out that they are conservative Republicans who voted for Donald Trump? All right, next question. Will you do, will you help them in this way if you find out they are liberal Democrats who voted for Hillary Clinton? Okay, three more questions. Will you help them this way if you find out that they are an unmarried couple who are living together? All right, and will you do them, do help them in this way if you find out they are a married gay couple or a married lesbian couple? And you are going to invite them in and let them use the laundry and help them. Last question. Will you help them if you find out that they are two transgender individuals or two gender nonconforming people? Will you help them with that, okay? So you should have a score, however many fingers you got up, okay? I want you to remember that score. Write it down or, or really implant it in your head, because we're going to come back to this later. Well, oxygen is a necessity in life. We need oxygen to survive. Our brain needs oxygen. It's so crucial to it. If, you know, they do experiments and and discover these things. uh, But if you um, are, you know, deprived of oxygen, like they put you at like a really high altitude kind of a scenario, and um, some people lose consciousness as quick as 30 seconds. Some people it takes well over three minutes to lose consciousness, but you you can actually lose consciousness. It isn't long. And after one minute of being deprived of oxygen, uh, brain cells begin dying. Okay, they begin dying right at one minute. Uh, You get the two-minute point and uh, you lose the ability to think rationally and to, to think right about things, but you don't know it. You think you're thinking fine. You don't realize it because the lack of oxygen is affected. By the way, this is why sometimes people die in these situations. You know, you ever heard of airplanes? You know, they're flying, they don't realize, and they crash. What happened? Well, they passed out. They ran out of oxygen. They didn't know it. They weren't aware of it, so they didn't do something about it. So people die. You get to three minutes, the the neurons in your brain, uh, this much greater damage happening. You're probably going to have lasting brain damage. You get to five minutes, you enter sort of what might be called the death zone. People begin dying at this place. Uh, if you manage to make it 10 minutes and are revived, you will be in a coma and have b- lasting severe brain damage. And basically, no one survives past 15 minutes. Now, there are some people in the world who are free divers in the ocean. They, they can go down 22 minutes. It's the world record for holding their breath. But they still have the problems. All they've done is figured out how to slow down the process, but the same things will happen to them. We need oxygen to live, to survive. Now, because that's true, do you ever walk into a room, and you and somebody else is there, I mean, it's your wife, your child, or friend, you walk into a room, there's two of you. and you say, wait a minute, I need oxygen, and they're taking up some of what I need, right? I need that oxygen. Well, who, who needs the oxygen more, you or the other person? Yeah, you know, we think it's silly to think that way, right? We don't think that way. You know, I need oxygen more than you do. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to, yeah, whatever. It seems crazy to us that we think that way. And yet, what I want you to see is that in our relationships, sometimes we think that way. That there's a not enough here of what I need f- for both of us. So I got to take care of me. You know, I feel needs. I have certain needs. I want those needs met. You have your needs. You want those needs met. And so how do we deal with this? How do we think about it? Well, there are relational mindsets that people adopt. And they're win-lose and lose-lose and win-win. Um, go ahead and put those up if you would. So this is what happens in our relationships. And, and, and so here we come to the situation of, of win-lose thinking. What this means is that... Um, well, let's, let's envision, we're on an airplane. An oxygen mask come out right there, the plane decompresses, the oxygen masks drop down, and for some reason, there's two of you sitting in these seats and only one mask. Only one mask comes down. And so, uh, in a win-lose situation, you're thinking what? Somebody gets the mask and somebody dies. Somebody's got to lose for someone else to win. And in a relational situation, what that looks like is, so I have my needs and you have your needs, but you know what, I'm getting my needs met, even if it prevents you from getting your needs met. I don't care if it hurts you, I gotta take care of me. And uh, it's not a very nice looking thing, is it? But we tend sometimes to respond that way. No, no, I gotta get mine, you know, I don't care if you get yours or not. All right. So the other such, uh, scenarios is the idea of lose-lose. And so it's like this. Here you're, you're sitting in there. The oxygen mask drops between you and this other person. This other person's really big and really strong. And you know what? Who's going to get the mask? They're going to get the mask. And you think, if I ain't getting a mask, you ain't getting a mask, and you rip it out of the ceiling. Okay? That's a lose-lose situation, isn't it? Now neither of you have it. Um, And we wouldn't think we would do this in our relationships, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Now, one that's a little bit humorous, but it's a lose-lose situation. It's an old saying. You've heard it. If mama ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. A lose-lose situation. If mom's not happy, none of us are happy. Okay? But we do tend to do this sometimes, you know, we're in a situation where we aren't feeling like our needs are getting met and the other person's... Seeming to be okay with that. And so what do we do? I'm sure none of you would ever do this. No, I'm not so sure, actually. But we, you know, well, we kind of, and we we bring some unpleasantness into their lives, right? It's not fair that you're happy and I'm not. And so we're both going to end up unhappy here. And do you usually think this consciously? Probably not. But have you ever done it? Have you ever been on the receiving end of it being done? Lose-lose happens. It's not, not nice, not good. Well, then there's the win-win idea. And so we're thinking, envision the oxygen mask again, one oxygen mask, and the two of us. And a win-win situation, we say, well, here, you, you breathe a little bit, and then I'll t- we'll take turns, okay? We'll take turns breathing until, you know, we get down to the level. So we'll be okay. That's a win-win, isn't it? Because both of us benefit from this situation. And in relationships, this can happen too. It's where, you know, we get the needs and issues and, and we work together to try to figure out a way that, that you feel satisfied with what's going on and I feel satisfied with what's going on and we're both benefiting. We've, sometimes it might just be we find what we can both live with or maybe we do better than that and find something that really, really encourages us. And so win-win is what we would like to have. And it seems like sometimes the win-lose presents itself and we feel like we don't have a choice. And lose-lose happens to us or we do it and we don't feel like we have a choice. But from a human perspective, sometimes we don't have a choice. But I want to show you today that from God's perspective, there is a way to experience win-win in every relationship, every time. Okay? That's a pretty big promise to say and try to make. But let me tell you, But here's how this works uh, with what God says. So we go back into the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, way back in the beginning of the Jewish religion. And in there, there's some commands the book of Leviticus. Uh, The book of Leviticus is probably one of those, you know, you keep on your nightstand so that when you can't sleep, you pull it out and read if you can. Uh, We don't read through Leviticus a lot. But God says this, He says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And He says, What? I am the Lord. Meaning, What? Do this. I'm God. I'm the one telling you to do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, do you love yourself? You know, in our in our society, people sometimes want to say, well, you know, you, which, if you're not emotionally healthy unless you really learn how to love yourself. You've got to love yourself more. And there are problems with people when they don't see themselves the way God says they are. You know, we have a wrong self-image. That's true. But that's usually not the same thing as you don't love yourself enough because most of us love ourselves pretty well. Do you Do you try to feed yourself when you're hungry? Okay. Do you try to... Uh, put on a warm coat when you've got to go out in the cold? Do you like to have a, a nice room over your head, or a roof over your head when it's raining and cold? Yeah, right? See, we, we care about ourselves, and we go on into emotional things, the same thing. We care about ourselves and try to take care of ourselves. We do love ourselves, and God says, love your neighbors the same way you love you. And so the picture is this, really, does your neighbor need food to eat today? Do they have food to eat? They need food to eat. Well, I like to feed me, and they need food, so I have to do what? I should help them, okay, because I need to love them like I love me. And this goes on out into our relationship and how we get along with each other and our emotions and all those things. I need to, we need to love each other the way we love ourselves, uh, now, in the New Testament, Jesus expands on this. John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And he goes on and says, love one another the way I've loved you. And that's even bigger than loving your neighbor as yourself. But he says, you love one another. And How important is it for us to love? Well, in Leviticus, Leviticus he says, love each other like you love yourselves. I am the Lord And here he says, a new what I give you? What? A new commandment I give you? God commands us to love. So it's important. God expects us to do this. And uh, Peter, in writing one of his letters, he wrote this in there. In 1 Peter 4, in verse 8, he says, And above all things have fervent love. For one another. Go ahead and move that up if you would, Matt. Above all things, above all things. Have fervent love for one another. Fervent is this is a passionate idea. It's, it's, it's alive, it's dynamic. I really, really care, I really, really love. And he says, that's the way you are to love each other. It's the way you love people. Very, very important. It's an above all kind of thing. All right, does, does God tell us anything besides love in here? Does he say anything besides love? I mean, does he tell us other things to do besides love? Sure he does. All sorts of things we're told to do. And Peter says, God moving him to say it, he says, above all of those things, love. We have uh, learned something here. It's not new to us. I mean, it's just something that we've come to understand. When someone comes to Christ uh, and they're trying to learn the Christian life we're trying to teach and to try to understand it, uh, this book is a huge book, isn't it? I mean, there is so much here to learn. Uh, you know, how do I think like a Christian? What do I do? What do I not do? And, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to teach them all that in six weeks? <laughs> no. So we've kind of come down to the conclusion that, that uh, we teach them very basic things and then we say this, that that book is a big book, there's an awful lot to learn, but here's what you need to do. In every situation you find yourself in, ask, what would be the loving thing to do here? And do that. And most of the time you'll be right. Okay. Then you can learn the details and you can learn how that applies, but do what's right. And so our choice today is this, choose love over other motivations. Choose love over other motivations. Now, this does not say, it's like when we talked about spiritual material. We didn't say choose spiritual instead of material. We said bring the spiritual over the material. Same thing here. We're not saying that you can't have any other motivations. You will have other motivations. But over all of those motivations bring love, love to govern over all of those things. Let me give you an example. Um, Anybody here besides me like to have money? I like to have money. I enjoy having money. Um, More options seem like when you have money, right? We we like having money. And so if I said, you know what, for my career, I wanna work and I wanna do something where I can make a lot of money, would that be wrong? Is that a wrong motivation? No, it's not. But it puts me at great risk if that is my primary motivation to make a lot of money because there will be lots of things that come along where compromises will present themselves, things that are wrong, all that kind of thing. And so what I have to do is choose love over that motivation. I want to make a lot of money. But love is going to govern. My love for God is going to govern what I do here. My love for my neighbors and others is going to govern what I am going to do here. And that will protect you, and it'll also turn that other motive in what you're doing into a good thing. So we want to choose love over other motivations. Now, if we are going to do this in love, the way that we're supposed to, we got to know what is what is love. What is it really? I mean, that word gets used in so many ways, doesn't it? Um, and so what we want to do is think, well, what does the Bible mean when it talks about it? And so if we go to the Bible and we begin look through it and see uh, how does God love? I mean, he's the one who started this love thing. Uh, how does God love and how does he then tell us to love and what does it look like? And so here's the definition we're going to use for love. It's this, it's choosing to value someone highly enough to always act in his or her best interests even when it's personally costly to do so. Okay? It's choosing. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. Why does God love us? Because we were just so lovely? My baby pictures were cute. No, God did what? He chose to value me. He chose to value you. And he values us so highly that he always does what's in our best interest. Now, God doing what's in our best interest, does that mean God always does what's comfortable for us? Does he? You guys still out there? Does God always do what's comfortable for us? No, but he always does what's best for us. You know, if you have kids or you've been a kid, you've heard that kind of thing, right? We're doing this for your own good even when you don't like it. So God has his, our best interests in mind. And then, was it personally costly to God to meet our needs? It's not a trick question. It absolutely was. The Son of God had to come to earth and, and take the sin and the guilt that was rightfully ours and die and pay that penalty for it. Huge costs, more than any of us will ever pay. But here's the thing, if you choose to value someone this way and always act in their best interest, there will be places and times when it will be personally costly to you. Could be money. Could be emotionally that, wow, I don't really, you know, this isn't me, but I need to do this. Or I need not to do this. Uh, It could be maybe you give up a goal that you had. You give up a goal that you had because you're acting in this person's best interest, or you set aside your desires because you're acting in this person's best interest. So this is the definition of love. This is how love is viewed in the Bible here, especially God's love. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at a passage of Scripture where we see these aspects of Love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 14. It's page 1329 in the Bible that's there in the chairs, if you need to use that one. Verse number 14. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. So here, that we he's starting off with what's his motivation? Love. It's God's love for him. It's his love for God. And so he's, he's choosing this love over other motivations. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer, uh, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He died for all. Was this personally costly? Yes, he died for all. By the way, he died for not just those who will get saved, he died for All, that means he died for people who will never receive him as savior, who will never trust him, but he paid the price for them anyway and made his offer to them genuine. He died for all. Very, very costly. Is it in in, in our best interest that Jesus died for us? Yeah. Very personally costly to him to do it. Verse 18, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You say, what in the world is Paul talking about? Well, let's go back a couple weeks and pull that choice in. We choose the spiritual over the material. In other words, we've known, we know people like this, just here and now, we say, but you know what, we don't know them. We now understand there's a whole spiritual dynamic. It's, there's more to this than just here, flesh and blood. There's a God thing going on. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is that something that's in your best interest? For God to make you a new creation inside and and, and begin this new thing? Yeah, that's in your best interest. He's acting in your best interest. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation, but He's reconciled us to Himself. Does He value us? Yeah, He he reconciled Him to Himself. God could have just done something, reconciled us, and say, "Okay, go on your way." No, He reconciled us what to Himself. Because he values us, he has chosen to value us and acting in our best interest. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. But let's look at that phrase again. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And again, he values us. He's acting in our best interest. And I want you to see this is personally costly to God. This, this verse to me is, is amazing. When I really sat and pondered uh, a number of years ago and it just started to become clear, it says here that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Is the whole world reconciled to him? I mean, when we think of reconciliation, right, that's where we're, we're separated and for some reason, and when we reconcile, if you say, oh, they reconciled, what do we mean? They means they, they came back together. Well, here's God, and the most of the world is where? Someplace out here. Has there been reconciliation? But it says here that God was in the world reconciling people to himself. What's going on? Well, what it means is this, it means on God's side of the equation, God has done everything that needs to be done. He has removed every obstacle on his side of the equation. The only thing that prevents reconciliation is the choice of the others, our choice, other people's choice. Wow. There's no, he's taken it all away? Really? This is huge. and has a lot of ramifications for us when we think about how we love and who we love. Hmm. Come back to us again here a little bit. Let's, let's continue. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, perfect, holy, righteous, made him to be sin for us. Took our sin, our ugliness personally costly to him? How much does he value us? That we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we might receive all of his goodness, his holiness, his acting in our best interest. interest. It's amazing. God has removed every obstacle on his side. What is his heart then toward us? What is his heart toward the people out there today who don't know him? What's this, I mean, I'm not asking for a description, but what is his heart toward? Is his his heart toward them? His heart is leaning toward them, isn't it? All right. Um, And he did all this, even though it was personally costly to him. And so we're talking about choose love over other motivations. And this just means that choosing to value someone highly enough to always act in his or her best interest, even when it's personally costly to do so. Now, how is this a win-win? <coughs> when you're paying a price to love someone, and it's costly to you, and they're benefiting, how is this win-win? Doesn't it kind of seem like win-lose here? All right. Well, the Lord has demonstrated to us that God's love is a win-win. It says this about Jesus. is Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He paid the price. He paid that personal cost. And he did so knowing what? There was what? Joy to be had out there because of this. I will experience this joy because of this. All the people who are going to be lives with me change and who are going to come to me and into relationship with me. And he sees that. And so he starts where he is and and he pays the cost. So this is a win-win for Christ, wasn't it? A win-win. Because he acted in our best interests, and then he also reaps the benefits of it. And this is what we will experience in our own lives when we learn to love like he loves us and we love in the way that Jesus loved us here. uh, This definition that we're talking about, when we do that, even if we are personally paying a cost, we might not experience the benefit in this life, at least coming back to us. But you know, if nothing else we will have, we will experience the benefit, I am pleasing the Lord. I am being like him when I'm loving this way. Um, and by the way, just let me throw this in. I'm not saying uh, let people run over you. You know, if you're in a toxic relationship, hurting and damaging, you aren't helping. It's not in their best interest for you to stay in that relationship, nor is it in your best interest. So that's not a love motivation. You gotta deal with that stuff, that's true. But when we love like this, not only pleasing Christ, We talked uh, last week about standing before Christ in the judgment and looking at our lives, and he's gonna look at our lives and say, wow, you loved like I did. You loved like me there. Well done, well done. That's gonna matter so much to us. And and then, I said, if nothing else, many times down here when we love this way, it's gonna come back to us good, now. Think about this in your marriage relationships. If you aren't married, imagine with me, okay? That in this marriage relationship, you make the determination that you're going to love your spouse this way. You are going to always, you're gonna value your spouse. You're always gonna act in his or her best interests. And you're gonna do so even when it's personally costly to you. I'm gonna love my spouse that way. And you love your spouse that way. Do you think that's gonna change anything? Well, let me ask you, how would you like to be on the receiving end of that? Right? if your spouse really started, and you start experiencing that and seeing that, and wow, he values me, she values so much, she does this stuff, and I know it's costly, I know it's hard, wow. It has a tendency to change relationships in huge ways. So we could talk lots about different relationships like this, but you see, it does become a win-win for us when, whenever we love like God has loved us, it becomes a win-win situation. Now, let's talk about our neighbors, loving our neighbors. Do you remember the quiz that we took? I don't know how many fingers you had. Huh? But if we were to take the quiz again now, And we put this verse up in front of you and say, let's remember this, that God demonstrates his love toward us and that, what's the next words? While we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he loved us this way. And so we say, if you took the test again, would it change your answers? When you think about this, we need to love our neighbors this way. The way God has loved us, we need to love them that way. What's that mean? Does this mean there are no problems? No, it doesn't mean there's no problem. Does this mean there are no moral issues? No, it doesn't mean that. Does this mean you'd never have a conversation maybe about what's really true? It doesn't necessarily mean that at all. We're talking about you being like God when he has removed every obstacle on his side of this equation. And his heart is toward people who are still sinners so that whoever our neighbor is, whether it's the next door neighbor, the person we work with, or wherever, that we have removed every obstacle here and our heart is toward them. And we want to act in their best interest here, even if it's costly to us. Man, that's a different kind of love, isn't it? And yet this is what God calls us to as Christians, as his people, to love this way. Choose love over other motivations. And I would say to you that if you would like to change the answer to your quiz, just go change it out there when you go out and live there, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you have loved us this way, that you have paid a huge price for us to act in our best interest, that you value us this way, that you removed every obstacle, Father. I pray that you would Teach us how to love like that. That we'd see ourselves accurately and are we loving like that or not and that, that we would remove every obstacle on our side, Father, to, have, to be able to express your love to people and have your heart for people. And we'll trust you for all the details that come out of that, Lord, and how to navigate it and the hard things that might happen. But we are going to love like you have loved us. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you. You are dismissed. Let me say this to you real quick. We have um, an older couple who attend this service most weeks in their 70s. They are getting married here this afternoon at 2.30. But anyway, so if after 15, 20 minutes, if if you're here in the middle, if you could kind of move out. Because we have to move the chairs and create a center aisle. Okay? All right. Thank you. You are dismissed.